Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shear, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this episode, it's a high seas adventure on our first episode over a pirate leader. Three pirates, in fact. We're covering a small period of time in which pirates in the Caribbean Sea held power over the city of Nassau and the Bahamas in what would eventually come to be known as the Republic of Pirates. Like the story I recently covered over the first triumvirate in Rome, it's a story of powerful men coming together to do what they think is best for their people. In this case, their people, meaning pirates. So of course, there will also be betrayal. It's a story that includes some of the most famous names in pirate history. Charles Vane, Calico Jack Rackham, Benjamin Hornigold, Anne Bonny, Mary Reed, and, of course, Edward Teach a.k.a. Blackbeard. For our story today, we are mainly going to focus on the pirates Henry Jennings, Benjamin Hornigold, and Blackbeard. These were sailors of fortune riding the waves in search of a better life than living in the servitude of empires who only saw them as expendable naval soldiers. So grab a bottle of rum and sit back on your chest of stolen Spanish gold. Without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to the early 18th century, the golden age of piracy, in high seas, higher danger. As I said, we're in a time referred to as the golden age of piracy. It was a period set from about 1650 to the mid-1720s. While we mostly think of during this time as being centralized in the islands of the Caribbean, the Golden Age was actually taking place across the entire world. We're mainly going to be focused on the pirates of the Western Atlantic, but know that there was also piracy happening along the eastern and western coasts of Africa. The Golden Age of piracy began with the Age of the Buccaneer. While today one would usually think of the word buccaneer as a synonym for pirates, it didn't start off that way. In order to understand more about buccaneers, we need to quickly cover the state of the world. Europe was slowly getting out of a very long series of conflicts that are overall referred to as the Wars of Religion, or the Wars of the Reformation. Despite the former name, these conflicts were not really mainly about religion. They were more over the rise of different powers throughout Europe and the development of the modern idea of a nation-state. Most of the fighting would end in 1650, though some conflicts would flare up again in the early 1700s, and that will be important later. With the War of Religions mostly finished, Europe could continue its favorite pastime of colonizing the Americas. Now, enter the Buccaneers. They were mostly French hunters living on the island of Hispaniola. With Spain's rapidly increasing power, the buccaneers soon found themselves in danger of being wiped out with Spanish colonization efforts. The buccaneers left Hispaniola to the nearby island of Tortuga. In order to get revenge on Spain, these hunters soon became maritime warriors and attacked Spanish ships that were sailing across the Atlantic. Buccaneers gained even more power after England and France gained footholds in the Caribbean and started hiring buccaneers as privateers, essentially naval mercenaries, to attack Spanish ships. In the 1690s, Britain got a change in power when the Stuart dynasty ended. This also brought an end to its friendly relationship with France. On top of that, 
an earthquake in 1692 devastated the British town of Port Royal in Jamaica. Yes, that's the same Port Royal as in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. With the Caribbean now mostly being cash poor, buccaneers, who were now more so called pirates, needed to find new lands to plunder. The growing population of British pirates decided to take a stab at a different body of water and set sail for Africa. They sailed around southern Africa in order to take advantage of the poor navy coverage of the East India Trading Company. One of the most famous pirates of this time was Captain William Kidd, whose acts of piracy are now being thrown into question as to whether or not they were actually a legal activity. Captain Kidd is also one of the few known pirates to have buried his treasure. Another famous name from this time was Captain Henry Morgan, aka the guy they named the rum after. The final part of the golden age of piracy began in the early 1700s with the end of the War of Spanish Succession. This war lasted from 1701 to 1714. It all began when the King of Spain, Charles II, died without siring an heir, as so many people on this show have done. At this point, Spain had colonized and owned most of the land in the Americas and had many other territories throughout Europe and even in the Philippines by this point, meaning there was a lot of power to inherit for whoever got the throne. There had been two options of who to put on the throne. The grandson of the King of France, who Charles had offered the throne prior to his death, and the other being the son of the Holy Roman Emperor. The French won out, which resulted in a massive war in order to force France and Spain to split their territories. Luckily, the war ended with France and Spain remaining two separate powers. However, it also resulted in England becoming a massive new maritime force. However, with wartime over, many British sailors were now out of a job. With colonization and nation building in America still going strong, most of them had to turn to the slave trade in order to keep their jobs. And I know we like to throw around the narrative that white people were all about getting more slaves from Africa, but here's the thing. A lot of those sailors absolutely hated this profession. Being disenchanted with their employers, in this case the powers of Europe, but still wanting to sail the seas, most of these former slave traders were picked up by pirate captains. Another fallout of the war was all the commercial vessels that had been sunk by enemy ships. The Atlantic trade route was the hot spot of the day. A single ship could be carrying the motherload of all treasures, enough coin and resources to kick back on a tropical island. We'll get into how all of this ended up forming the Republic of Pirates, but it's high time we actually started learning about the captains who turned a British colony into a buccaneer haven. This episode is going to follow the same sort of framing as the first Triumvirate episode back in number 15. If you didn't listen to that one, one, you should give it a listen, and two, I explain the background of the three major players before bringing their stories together. As I said at the top of the show, the three main pirates of our story are Henry Jennings, Benjamin Hornigold, and Edward Teach, aka Blackbeard. Just like the Triumvirate, one of those names is far more famous than the other two, so we'll leave Blackbeard for last. If you've consumed more recent pirate media outside of Pirates of the Caribbean, such as the show Black Sails or the video game Assassin's Creed Black Flag, 
the name Benjamin Hornigold will probably be familiar to you. So let's start with probably the least well-known of the three, Henry Jennings. A lot of pirates during this era basically rose out of complete obscurity when they made the decision to become thieves of the sea. Jennings is one of those types of pirates. In fact, a lot of his life outside of piracy is so unknown that we don't have a year of birth or death for the guy. What we do know about him pre-piracy is that he owned land on both Jamaica and Bermuda, and he was born and raised in the latter. He sailed as a privateer during the Spanish War of Succession, where he was stationed in Jamaica. After the war, he could have easily rested on his laurels and lived with his massive land holdings on the island nation. But for some reason, and I'm not just saying that, we literally do not know why, Jennings decided to turn to piracy. In November of 1715, word arrived on Jamaica that a Spanish fleet had sunk off the coast of Florida. Jennings and another captain named John Wills received permission from the Jamaican governor to set sail to recover any gold and other valuables to be found. They were instructed not to attack anyone except for pirates. The next month, Jennings and his crewmate, as well as future famous pirate Charles Vane, captured a Spanish mail vessel and coerced them into revealing the exact location of the salvage camp and the Spanish had set up in order to recover the wrecked fleet. By the time they arrived in early 1716, most of the Spanish treasure had been recovered by Native Americans and returned to Cuba. In what was supposed to be against his orders, though there are historians who believe the governor of Jamaica allowed this, Jennings led three ships and upwards of 300 sailors turned pirates in plundering the remaining treasure from the Spanish salvage camp. Other famous pirates on this crew included Hornigold, Samuel Black Sam Bellamy, and Edward England. They would end up coming away with about 87,000 British pounds worth of gold and silver, something close to about a 10 years average salary back then. Jennings and his gang then briefly stopped in Nassau to divide up the spoils. During this time, he stole a ship from Benjamin Hornigold and sailed off with the rest of his crew to return to Jamaica. This would begin a lifelong rivalry and heated relationship between the two pirates. On the way back to Jamaica, Jennings attacked a Spanish ship, but didn't sink it? So the Spanish captain just returned to Cuba to deliver the news to the Cuban governor. The Cuban governor then relayed news of the pirate attack to the Jamaican governor. The governor of Jamaica, who had commissioned Jennings for the journey, claimed he knew nothing about pirate attacks. When Jennings made it back to Jamaica, he split some of his treasure with the governor, who did absolutely nothing to Jennings. Jennings' successful raid on the Spanish in Florida was hailed by pirates and legitimate English sailors alike, who all now took the initiative to plunder the seas along the Floridian coast. Meanwhile, our pirate captain continued raising hell against both the Spanish and British while amassing more ships, crew members, and of course, treasure. During a second raid a few months later, Jennings came across Black Sam Bellamy and other pirates looting a ship. They would band together to take down a French ship named the Saint Marie. Together, the pirates looted the Saint Marie, though Jennings would soon decide on plundering another French ship, the Marianne. 
He left the St. Marie behind in the hands of Bellamy and his crew, but soon found out that the Marianne had already been captured by Benjamin Hornigold. Jennings failed to chase down Hornigold and decided to return to the St. Marie, only to find out that Bellamy and his crew had betrayed Jennings' crew and taken all the valuables from the ship. I mean, they're pirates, what did he expect? To add insult to injury, Hornigold would then give the Marianne to Bellamy for betraying Jennings. Furious at this, Jennings would later attack an innocent British merchant ship. He would continue his rivalry with Hornigold, which eventually resulted in Jennings successfully capturing one of his rival's ships. And during a victory lap up to Florida, Jennings was officially declared a pirate by the governor of Jamaica and banished from the island. Before we go any further in Jennings' story, it's time we switch sides and learned more about his rival, Benjamin Hornigold. And hey, we actually know a bit more about birth dates and death dates for Benjamin. Hornigold was born in 1680 in England, with a general guess made by historians based on his surname being somewhere in the county of Norfolk. Hornigold's section is going to be a bit shorter than Jennings's because Hornigold is mostly famous for something that will happen at the end of the story. And also there was plenty of crossover already stated in Jennings' section of the show. Like most other pirates of the time, Hornigold most likely served in the War of Spanish Succession. He would use the excuse that he was still fighting the good fight in order to legitimize his piracy, at least in official settings. In fact, Hornigold purposely did not attack British ships to further perpetuate his legitimacy. Hornigold began his piracy between 1713 and 1714 with a small crew using sailing canoes and a single ship named the Happy Return. He used this canoeing pirate gang to attack ships off the coast of New Providence, an island in the Bahamas whose capital was Nassau, the site of the Pirate Republic. As said before, throughout 1716, he began his rivalry with Jennings, and the two sparred back and forth. Also in 1716, Hornigold's crew grew tired of not being able to attack British ships, so they mutinied him and those still willing to support the captain, one of whom was Hornigold's second-in-command named Edward Teach. They left Hornigold and Blackbeard with a single ship they had captured earlier. By 1717, Hornigold had gained himself a ship called the Ranger, which was the most powerful pirate ship of the era. By March of that year, Hornigold's crew had increased to five ships and about 350 total crew members. Hornigold would once more invoke the ire of his crew for his refusal to attack the British, and he was eventually demoted from his captaincy. He semi-retired from piracy and stayed ashore on New Providence to help the local pirates set up what would become their safe haven, leaving plenty of room for our final pirate captain to gain his infamy. Edward Teach, sometimes also called Edward Thatch, but known to almost the entire world as Blackbeard, is probably without a doubt the most famous pirate of all time, and for good reasons. He was not the most successful pirate by a long shot, no one I've mentioned so far was, but he knew how to be a pirate. 
he knew how to use theatrics to invoke fear. It's said that he put lit matches in either his hat or beard as he attacked ships in order to make himself look like a demon. Blackbeard was born sometime around the same year as Hornigold, most likely in Bristol, England. A lot of historians just write his birth year as 1680 because he was only around 40 years old when he died, and we know that year. As a young man, he served as a privateer in either the War of Spanish Succession, Queen Anne's War, or possibly even both. Queen Anne's War has many different viewpoints and names depending on which country you're from. In America, it's referred to as Queen Anne's War because it was a war that took place during the reign of Queen Anne. How original. The war was waged during the same time frame as the War of Spanish Succession, except for the fact that it took place on mainland North America, mostly in the United States and Canada. Because of this, in Europe, the war is usually considered part of the War of Spanish Succession. It's believed that Blackbeard was originally living in Jamaica before he became a pirate. In 1716, he joined the crew of Benjamin Hornigold. After Hornigold's mutiny, Teach, as quartermaster and second-in-command, was given a ship Hornigold captured. In September of 1716, Hornigold and Teach met up with businessman-turned-pirate Steed Bonnet, captain of the ship The Revenge. Bonnet had been injured and his crew was unhappy with Bonnet as their leader. Hornigold brought Bonnet, his crew, and The Revenge into his fold and gave custody of The Revenge to Blackbeard. Hornigold and Teach's fleet soon afterwards became four ships, though not for long. When Hornigold decided to retire, he split the fleet in half and stayed in Nassau. It's said that after the split, Blackbeard and Hornigold never saw each other again. There is much more to Blackbeard's story, but that is for later. It's about time we actually learned about the home of the Republic of Pirates. Nassau, capital of the island of New Providence in the Bahamas, began its Golden Age history with piracy in 1696 when privateer Henry Avery bribed the governor of Nassau with a massive hoard of treasure he had recently plundered. In return, his crew would find safety on the island. After that, more pirates began flocking to the city, and they soon held more power than the legitimate government of Nassau. During the War of Spanish Succession, Nassau was attacked and set on fire several times. By the end of the war, a vast majority of the British residents on the island had fled to safety in other parts of the Caribbean and abroad. But not the pirates. In early 1716, the governor of Bermuda believed that the pirates outnumbered the actual British residents 10 to 1. Depending on the period of time, there were said to be different leaders in charge of the new buccaneer safe haven, the Republic of Pirates. At one point, a pirate named Thomas Barrow proclaimed himself the governor of the island, though how much power and control he actually had isn't really said anywhere. For the most part, though, the Republic was said to be under the control of the Flying Gang. The Flying Gang was the joint group of Jennings, Hornigold, and the pirates they had helped to achieve fame, including Charles Vane, Calico Jack, Steed Bonnet, Black Sam Bellamy, and of course, Blackbeard. How did Jennings and Hornigold end up pairing together to make this massive group? I don't know. 
The most likely answer is because they were both stationed in Nassau and knew that their combined efforts could create a land where pirates could truly be free. And this strategy worked as more and more privateers came to Nassau in search of employment after being left behind by their home countries post-wartime. So what was the actual law of the land in the Republic of Pirates? Technically there weren't any, and that's because of the Pirate Code. Or should I say, the multitude of pirate codes. As you can probably guess, a pirate code is the laws a pirate was to live by. Each captain usually had their own pirate code for their ship, with some captains having a different code for each voyage. For the most part, a pirate code would set up terms for discipline and treasure distribution. And for the most part, the treasure distribution was usually more equally spread among pirates than it was on legitimate privateer ships. There's some fun stories that may or may not be true about how the pirates swore an oath to the code. For the most part, it was believed they swore an oath on the Bible. When the good book wasn't available, some people say they swore the oath over pistols, cannons, swords, or even human skulls. Once you were sworn in, besides getting a share of the treasure, you could also vote on things like who gets to be captain and other ranks among the ship. For those who didn't swear an oath, there was usually punishment. But if the long arm of European law happened to come down on your ship, those who hadn't taken up a pirate code were usually more likely to avoid prison time or a death sentence. And soon enough, that long arm came for the Republic of Pirates in the form of a man named Woods Rogers. In January of 1718, Woods Rogers was appointed the governor of the Bahamas. One of his first acts as governor was to offer a pardon to all pirates in hopes of reducing the amount of scum and villainy that had overtaken the Caribbean. The proclamation was issued decreeing that total clemency would be offered to any pirate who accepted the pardon by September 5th of the same year. Any crimes committed before January 1st, 1718 would be forgiven. Now, you'd think a bunch of sailors who had basically spent the past few years actively rebelling against the powers of European royalty would find such an offer laughable or outright offensive, right? These were privateers who had been dumped after a decade-long war with no path to pursue better lives. Like, they were just supposed to suck it up and say, Oh, well, I guess the fun pirate times are over. Let's go home, lads. Well, 400 pirates would end up taking Rogers' pardon. Among those 400 were Henry Jennings and Benjamin Hornigold. Jennings took the pardon in early 1718. He sailed back to Bermuda from Nassau and turned himself in. He would go on to retire and actually become a respected member of the community. After that? Well, no one knows for sure. Some people say he lived peacefully on a plantation for the rest of his days in retirement. Others say he was later captured by Spanish forces and died in a prison within the Spanish colonies. But whichever case is true, that's it for Jennings in this story. Yep, the guy who began the greatness of the Flying Gang and helped bring the Republic of Pirates to its heights just noped out of there and retired. Hornigold, on the other hand, took a different route when it came to the pardon. One of the addendums of the pardon listed that pardoned pirates could be reimbursed if they helped take down other pirates who refused the pardon. 
for each captain taken in, a pirate hunter would be offered 100 pounds. In modern times, that is about 16,240 pounds, 22,600 US dollars, or 19,120 euros. In a strange twist of fate, the man who had always tried to play himself as a legitimate privateer was now just that. He would spend the next year and a half hounding down his former associates, including Captain Charles Vane and even Blackbeard. He failed to capture his most high-profile targets, but Hornigold still goes down in history as one of the greatest pirate hunters in history. The other side of the duo that had created a haven for pirates had become one of its greatest enemies. In 1719, while working on an assignment for Rogers, Hornigold and his crew were caught up in a hurricane somewhere between the Bahamas and Mexico. I know that's actually a lot of ocean, but history did not give us an exact location. The hurricane drove Hornigold's ship into a reef, where it wrecked and killed all but five of his crew members. Thus ends the story of the great pirate captain turned traitor. But there's still one great name left. The man who did not go down so easily. Let's jump back just a bit to continue Blackbeard's story. In November of 1717, by this time Hornigold had retired to Nassau but had yet to become a pirate hunter, Blackbeard and his crew took hold of the French ship La Concorde. Teach would rename the ship the Queen Anne's Revenge, which would become the head ship of his fleet and perhaps one of the most famous pirate ships of all time. In a Boston newsletter from around this time, it was reported that Blackbeard led a fleet of three ships with about 150 pirates at his command. Also around this time, maybe a little earlier, Blackbeard was named the Magistrate of the Pirate Republic of Nassau, giving him the right to declare law and order as he saw fit. How much power and control he actually exerted is anyone's guess. It was during this time that Blackbeard was at the height of his infamy. Around May of 1718, Blackbeard decided that he deserved the rank of Commodore, which was a rank above Captain. He also decided that he had had enough of the Caribbean, considering things were becoming less inviting in that part of the world, and sailed his now much larger fleet north to terrorize the coast of South Carolina, which at this point was a province owned by England. He set up a blockade off the coast of Charlestown and freely pirated there, often running afoul of the local government. A month later in June, word reached Blackbeard of Woods Rogers and the official pardon. He sailed up to North Carolina and accidentally ran aground the Queen Anne's Revenge, effectively taking his flagship out of commission. Blackbeard eventually confided in Steed Bonnet, who had been part of his crew all this time, that he was considering taking the pardon. Bonnet was Blackbeard's guinea pig for the pardon and met with the governor of North Carolina, where he was given the full pardon. When Bonnet returned to Blackbeard, he discovered the Commodore had stripped his ship of goods and betrayed him. Furious, Bonnet would return to piracy, but was captured a little while later. Blackbeard eventually shacked up at the Ocracoke Inlet in North Carolina. Along the way, he thinned out some of his crew that he assumed would not take too kindly to accepting the pardon. A few days later, Edward Teach was a man absolved from crime. 
did not remain peaceful for long. Charles Vane, former protege of Henry Jennings and friend of Blackbeard, arrived in Ocracoke alongside several other famous pirates after escaping from Benjamin Hornigold. Word of this meeting of pirates spread to the neighboring American colonies, inciting panic among the governors. In November, the governor of Virginia financed several privateers to hunt down Blackbeard and the others. On November 22nd, a group of several ships tracked down Teach's location at the Ocracoke Inlet. Blackbeard was allegedly entertaining guests, and a good amount of his crew were further inland. Different sources report him having anywhere from just under 20 to about 40 sailors at his command. Either way, a much smaller number than the hunters. A fierce battle quickly broke out. Surprisingly, Blackbeard's minuscule crew was able to hold their ground for much longer than they had any right to. It's said that he managed to run aground both ships that attacked, but one of them managed to get back into the water to continue the fight. The ship that survived, which was also called the Ranger, and I couldn't find anywhere if this was Hornigold's ship that had passed hands or not, because at some point it had also been passed on to Charles Vane, well, this ship had a plan. Its captain decided to hide most of his men below deck, knowing that Blackbeard would board it. Blackbeard did end up boarding the ship, and was taken by surprise when a bunch of privateers suddenly burst forth from the lower decks. Blackbeard was killed in the ensuing fight, and surviving members of his crew quickly surrendered afterwards. It's reported that Blackbeard had been shot five times and cut by a sword twenty times. In a horrific fashion, the hunters cut off Blackbeard's head and mounted it on the bow of the ship. There's a story that says that after the hunters tossed Blackbeard's headless body into the sea, it swam around the ship three times before it sank to the depths. To this day, fishermen in the area still claim that they catch sights of a ghost they claim as the fearsome pirate himself. Pirates of Nassau shone very brightly for a very brief amount of time. I obviously couldn't cover every name who docked on those shores unless I wanted this episode to be like five times longer than it is. I'm sure some of you would enjoy that, but that's too much work for me. But still, hopefully you learned a bit more about how these crazy sailors lived. And as I mentioned, there were plenty of other pirates throughout history that were wildly more successful than anyone covered today. I am definitely planning future episodes over them. And if you did pour a glass of rum for this episode, don't worry, water's fine too. Let's raise a toast to these crazy men who chose to defy all odds in search of glory. And remember kids, pirating is okay because major corporations don't care about you. Jeff Bezos isn't your friend. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and subscribe to the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, we're jumping way back in time and across the world for a wild story told by the Persian Emperor Darius I about how he rose to power. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. Whoa, 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 whoa.